0: a pokey place and uh, so we went and that afternoon Michael and I had stomach problems and unfortunately he had to play for his high school graduation that evening as well as a basketball game and I was going to call Marco and Phil to see how their stomachs were doing you know also but I'm glad you're feeling uh, much better now. But we're glad you're here. If this is your first time, welcome. And we hope that you feel that this is a place where maybe that you could call home. But before we start, would you ask, uh, join me as I ask God to bless our time? Father, thank you so much for this day that you have made, and we rejoice and we're glad in it. And like Pastor Phil said, we're just glad to be here. And Father, you've watched over us. And Lord, we know that you would continue, Father, to watch over and you care about all of the prayers that were lifted up earlier. And Father, I pray that you would uh, speak to me this morning. Father, that you would use the story of Esther to help change our lives and change our views on the way we think of things. So once again, Father, thank you um, for your presence here this morning. In your son's name we pray. Amen. A while back, my wife and I and Michael, we went to this one restaurant. And as we went to this restaurant, we noticed several things. We noticed number one, there weren't a whole lot of people in the lobby, that it was empty. But we also um, looked around and said, you know what? Hey, we're the only minorities here. And so we put our name down and we sat down and we waited for them to call us. And then we waited and we waited and we waited. And while we were waiting, several other people, or many other people came, and they were seated before us. At first we said, you know what, well maybe it's because they had reservations. Well we looked in the restaurant and go, you know, this restaurant's not that crowded. You know, I don't know why they would have reservations, but once again we waited. And so we'd ask the uh, person uh, uh, taking at the front desk, you know, we've been waiting here a long time. oh, don't worry, very polite, don't worry, we'll get to you, we'll get to you, and so we kept on waiting, but we noticed people kept on getting served before us, and then we went, and we ordered, and it took a long time for our order to, to be taken, and then we noticed the same thing, people that were coming in behind us were getting served before us, and then I thought, Am I getting a meal that is just so complex that it's taking a long time? Because you know me, I'm always giving people the benefit of the doubt. I don't know, so maybe my salad just is going to take a long time, you know, for them to make. But once again, we were noticing that people who came in later, who ordered the same thing, were getting served before us. And then I started thinking, I wonder if they're doing this because we're Asian, And I don't know if you've ever been in that situation before where you felt that maybe you are being judged or people are acting accordingly because of, you know, who you are. It's a really lousy feeling when that happens. But yesterday, I was going to our uh, annual leadership conference, which is in Anaheim, and I, you know, looked at ways, and I said, okay, I'll get there in a certain amount of time. And then all of a sudden, I checked my... um, uh, uh, map, I forgot that, alert And then I noticed a lot of red on the freeways and I go, oh no, I'm going to be late. So I am just rushing down Del Mar Boulevard. For those of you who don't know Del Mar Boulevard, it's a busy street, maybe about three or four blocks uh, west of here, right? And this was um, almost when we were getting on the freeway. So I'm going and this car that's coming north makes an illegal U turn right in front of me, cuts me off, I have to slam on my brakes. Now, guess what I thought? Being that this happened on Del Mar Boulevard in the city of San Gabriel, I thought, Asian driver, what's the matter with you? You know? And then I realized, I'm doing the same thing. You know, this person, I don't even know who this person was in the car because the windows were kind of tinted. But what? They made a U-turn in front of me, and what did I do? I automatically assumed that it was an Asian driver, you know? And so I realized, I realized, man, uh, this is something that I struggle with too. And I'm sure uh, for those of you who've driven around here and you've been cut off, or you've seen somebody run a red light and almost hit you, I know you're thinking the same thing. Because I know, because I've been in a car with some of you guys. Okay? But you know what? We live in a polarized society, today, and it's really, really concerning me. And I'm worried, and I'm scared. Because we're in a presidential um, year right now. And if you are listening to what the presidential candidates are saying... you've got to say, this is crazy. How could they be saying this about a certain group of people? And you know what? People are believing them and following them. And you're saying, how could this be? How could this one candidate say all of these things about a certain group of people and the rest of us say, you know, it's okay. Okay. But it's not just that. It's both sides of the party. The things that they are saying about each other. It's toxic. And it's not just about racial. It's gender preferences. It's your political views. It's social economic. You know, I believe that people in this country are just so angry right now. They're angry because they haven't dealt with the differences in people and they're getting fed up. And so finally, somebody they feel is saying something that they believe all along, and they're following that. They're following that. I think we live in scary times. You know, I think this country's at a boiling point when it comes to what people feel about other groups, whether it's, you know, law enforcement, you know, and just, I just want to give a plug, you know, I'm a chaplain for the san gabriel police department and you know i've ridden along with these guys and and women and um i could say that you know they're a really good group of guys you know but a lot, and i know that uh, police have been getting a lot of bad press and there are some you know um, police uh men and women that aren't ethical but then there are a lot of good officers too but even in schools right you, there's certain groups in the schools that you look at and you make judgments about a certain group of individuals based upon one person. It happens all the way in a school level. And so today we just have one point. It's not going to be up there, but I just want you to um, remember this. That prejudice has no place in the life of the believer. Right? Prejudice has no place in the life of the believer. And we're going to take a look at that in, the, um, first, in this um, uh, as we go through the book of Esther, chapter 3. Now, in these first three chapters, we're just setting the story up. You know, after this, it starts really getting good. But I'm just setting up the story here. And it says, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Esther 3. Chapter 1. It says, after these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, elevating him and giving him the seat of honor higher than all of the other nobles. Okay? How many of you guys have seen um, Disney's Aladdin? Of your, your children or your grandkids seen Disney Aladdin? Well, basically, this is Jafar. Okay, this is the royal vizier. This is a guy who's second in command. This is a guy that the king listens to. And so Haman was elevated up to this point. But it's interesting that they not only said he's the son of Hamadatha, and Pastor Phil alluded to this earlier in the first time he spoke, but he was an Agagite. That means he was a descendant of King Agag, Agag, the um, Amalekite. Now we see in 1 Samuel 15 that King Saul was supposed to battle King Agag, who once again was, um, Haman was a descendant of um, King Agag. And God said, you are to, to destroy the Amalekites. Every man, woman, child. Baby, infant, you are to destroy them. You are to destroy all their property, all of their livestock. And you think, well, that's pretty harsh. But if we go back even further, why do the Israelites and the Agagites? What's going on? Agagites, Amalekites? What's going on there? When Israel left Egypt, the Amalekites—they were weary, they were tired. But the Amalekites attacked them, but they attacked them from the rear. They attacked the people who were lagging. Now, if you have this large group of people moving forward in a certain direction, who are the people that are lagging behind, usually? The what? The weak? What else? The sick? The old? People who couldn't defend themselves. They were lagging behind. And so what the Malachites did is they attacked the Israelites from the rear, and they killed the people who were weak, the sick maybe those who were with children or something and that angered god that angered god that they would do this and then there was another conflict where um remember the one where israel was fighting the amalekites and moses was standing and he held up his arms like this remember that and what happened? When Moses had his hands up like this, the uh, Israelites would win. But when he dropped it, the Amalekites started winning. But at the end of that battle, you know, uh, Moses said that the Lord will have the Amalekites and the Israelites will be fighting for generations upon generations. And God said that he would blot out the Amalekites from the face of the earth you know, for attacking the weak and their helpless when they left Egypt. And so this feud has been going on for a long, long time. And so um, Haman was an Amalekite. He was the descendant of King Agar, whom God told Saul to destroy um, his people. Verse 2. It says, at the, All the royal officials at the king's gate Knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him, but Mordecai would not kneel down nor pay honor, pay him honor now the uh, story here or the uh, author doesn 't say why Haman wouldn 't kneel down, maybe he just felt that it was national pride that this guy wasn an 't a Malachite, and you know the Israelites and the Malachites had this blood feud going on, but we don 't know all we know is that Haman. Um, didn't um, kneel down and pay honor to him it says then the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai why do you disobey the king's command and day after day they spoke to him but he refused to comply therefore they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated for he told them that he was a Jew you can remember that you know day after day Mordecai is not Bowing down to him. And it wasn't because the Jews weren't allowed to bow down to um, royal officials. You know, the only thing, the only uh, instructions they were given that they couldn't bow down and worship other gods. But the, in their custom, they were allowed to show respect to royalty. So this wasn't about religious belief. Um, but he finds out that, ah, oh, he's a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay honor to him, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews throughout the kingdom of Xerxes. You know, he hated Haman for not bowing down to him. But once he found out he was a Jew... Killing Haman wasn't good enough. He was so prejudiced. There was so much hate inside of him towards the Malachites that he said, it is not good enough for me just to kill Haman. I am going to exterminate oh, Mordecai. Oh, thank you for that. It's not good enough for me to kill Mordecai. Yeah, we want. Yeah, Haman's a bad guy, you know, in this one. But I, need to, I want to kill his people. You know, <laughs> I want to kill this people. I want to exterminate this guy's people. Now, you know, it's been about 500 years since the Israelites and the Malachites had any sort of conflict. So this guy must have really hated the Jews. Maybe it was national pride because at that time, the Malachites for 500 years really weren't a significant force in the world. I mean, they, couldn't, they weren't strong enough to bother anybody. Yet there was so much hatred there. You know, maybe it was just because story after story after story, you know, it was passed on. You know, but we don't know. All we know is that Haman hated uh, the Jews. And then we go on. In the twelfth year of King Xerxes, in the first month, the, uh, the month of Nisan, the pure, that is, the lot, was cast in the presence of Haman to select the day and month. And the lot fell on the twelfth month, the month of Adar. Now, basically what's going on here is Haman wants to kill the Jews. And so he's just trying to figure out, okay, what is the day that I'm going to kill the Jews? And the way that they used to decide that is they used to have a, a lot or a die. You know, and they would just roll it. And whatever that die came up, that said, okay, this is the day that we are going to exterminate the Jews. But then we see God, even though, once again, God was never mentioned in the book of Esther we see God working here because he rolls the die, right? He rolls the die. Now, we think that um, that first month of Nissan was similar to our March. So let's say if we uh, talked about this in our day, he would roll the die and, um, on March of 2016. And the die came up and it said, okay, February of 2017. So 11 months. So it said, okay, In 11 months, we are going to annihilate and exterminate the Jews. But do you see God working here? What happens if, you know, it was done in March and they cast a die, and it says April of that same year? That would have only been a month. And all of the uh, things that we're going to learn as the story unfolds, as we see God working, that would have never happened in a month. But when the lot was cast... It was cast, giving them 11 months. 11 months for the story to unfold so where we could see God working. And then in verse 8, it says, Haman said to King Xerxes, there's a certain people dispersed among all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from all of the other people and they do not obey the king. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. Now you know, and I know, that we have a problem with prejudice if we are starting to use these arguments that the arguments that uh, came in was saying. His first argument was saying, hey, they're all over the place. They're everywhere. They weren't. Jews were not dispersed in all 126 provinces in Persia. That it, that wasn't the case. But what he did is what? He exaggerated. He said, they're all over the place. But don't we do that too? If we're thinking that way, if we're thinking, oh my gosh, they're all over the place, when they really aren't, then we might start checking our heart. Because maybe we do have a problem or an issue with prejudice or the way we think negatively about a um, group of people. The second thing he said was their customs are different from all those of all the other people. Their differences bother us. Their differences bother... And that wasn't true either. Yeah, there were some differences between the Jewish culture and um, you know the Persian culture, but once again, he said their differences bother us. I want you to think about something. Think about maybe a group of people that... Bug you. Why do they bother you? Is it because they've done something to you? Or maybe just because they're different. Their customs are different. If that's in your heart, maybe that's something that you might want to ask God to check. That if people are bugging you, just because their customs are different. And this is what Haman was telling the king finally he said um, we know that we have a problem when we make a judgment about a whole group of people based upon a few individuals and what was Haman's argument here they do not obey the king they who's they who's they in this story who's they there were no they it was just Mordecai right Mordecai was the only one who did not bow down, and for, as far as we know, um, bow down in, um, to Haman to show respect to him. But what does Haman say? They all, they all, all the Jews, they all, they, they disobey the king. Maybe we have a problem if we kind of see the actions of a few individuals. And then we judge a whole group of people based upon the actions of a few group of people. I mean, you know, all Asians aren't bad drivers. You know, I mean, I'm okay, you're laughing. Um, But, you know, there are a lot of Asians in the San Gabriel Valley, and the ones that I've encountered that almost hit me, I mean, they are probably a small percentage of all of them. But what do I do? All Asians are bad drivers because of... Few who come and they hit me and cut me off and don't follow the rules. You know, something that I need to uh, work on because I was doing the same thing that Haman was doing. It says, so the, um, and says Then he goes on and says, If he pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them and I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. Wow, this guy really hated the Jews. He's saying... You know, King, I'll give you, you know, in our day, I'll give you $50 million if you let me exterminate these Jews. And so in verse 10, it says, So the king took his signet ring from his finger and he gave it to Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagai, the enemy of the Jews. Once again, I mean, the Jews. He says, Keep the money, the king said to Haman, and do with the people as you please. Now, this translation, probably isn't the best translation. Basically, what are you saying? You know, when um, Haman said, I'll give you $50 million if you let me kill all of the Jews. And what the king responded was, hey, it, it's your money. Do with it. If you want to use it to kill the Jews, go for it. And that was his his response. And so here the king listened to this one man and his prejudice. And this one man and his prejudice almost destroyed a whole group of people. But what does the New Testament say about this? And we'll be closing with this. In 1 John 2, 9-10, through it says, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. Once again, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother and his sister is still in darkness. Once again, prejudice has no place in the life of the believer. Prejudice of any kind against anyone has no place in the life of the believer because what happens? It says you're in darkness and what happens when you're in darkness? You stumble, right? You stumble. And I want you to remember that you stumble. Say it with me. You stumble. Because at the end of this book, it's almost, you know, it's it's really funny. Haman stumbles, and it causes his downfall. Um, But what John is saying here, if you hate your brother, you're going to stumble. There are going to be some bad consequences. You're going to fall. There are going to be consequences to your prejudice. Maybe not now, but in the future or even if you, you take a look at what happened in Esther. 500 years, man. They were almost exterminated because of this you know, hatred. And so the question is, what would this world be like? What would this country be like if all the Christians stood up against prejudice? If all the Christians stood up and say, it is wrong to make judgments against other people because they're different than us or we just don't like them for whatever reason. You know, what if we all stood up against that? What kind of country would this be if we all stood up? See, God is calling us as believers to stand up against Prejudiced. And one of our values is courage. And it's going, to st- it's going to take courage to stand up because there's this wave, I think, of prejudice in all sectors of our country that is just rolling. And then it's up to us as believers to stand up against it and say, this is wrong. This is not what God wants. So how do we do this? You know, I know that you know when you think about people or a group of people, it may be a racial group, it might be a social, economic group, it might be a group of kids at school that belong to a certain club, it might be a political party. Um, but let's say there's a group that you just you know, ha- are having problems with right now. Whether, when you think about this group, anger comes up. What I challenge to you to do if you have a problem with a certain group of people, get to know someone in that group. Get to know someone in that group. Everyone has a story, and this story might just change the way you view them. You know, when we first started Family Promise here, when I you know, brought it to the church, a lot of people um, you know, came to me with their concerns. Oh, we, what if we have homeless You ain't going to invite homeless people to live here? What if they destroy our facilities? You know, what if they steal our crayons? Okay, well, if they steal our crayons, we'll buy new crayons. You know, what if they mark up our walls? Well, then we'll clean our walls, you know? And a lot of people, there's this fear because they've never, ever met a homeless. All they know about homelessness is what we see on TV. But guess what? Once they came and we met the families and we realized that they were just like us, they just had a few bad breaks. That changed our view on how we view the homeless. Why? Because we got to know them. And see, this is the way we deal with prejudice. We don't fight it. We get to know people, hear their stories. God says we're supposed to love our enemies And like I said earlier, I really believe this country is in trouble unless we as a group, a body of believers across this nation stand up and say, you know what, this type of thinking is wrong. It's wrong. And so I hope that each one of us prays for the courage to stand up because I believe that's what God's going to call us to do in the future. You know, as I'm going to call Pastor Phil up, to lead us in communion right now. But one of the things I want each one of us to do as we um, think about coming before the communion table, you know, ask God to check your heart. Is there a certain group of people that right now you just have problems with? And ask God to start working on that in your heart before you come up and take communion.